I have to be delusional enough to think people are going to listen to this. It's thunderstorming outside. There's lightning. Hit me with it. Come on. How smart can you be when you have huge mantids? Okay, he, him. Go put your pronouns and go sit in the corner. I'll take care of this. It's just common sense. Hi, Grimhood. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Really, really good. And we are just talking and I'm just so excited for this conversation. So I think I and many people are very interested in learning how you became the king of esoteric herbal Twitter. So what is your backstory? It really began when uh, I woke up one morning in December of 2017. I immediately went into a grand mal seizure. From what I was told from my brother and my now ex-girlfriend, uh, I was without oxygen for several minutes and my body was completely purple. I had excreted both urine and feces. It, it, it just wasn't looking pretty for me. Mm -hmm. And they ended up uh, stopping the seizures once I got to the hospital. Uh, they called the ambulance and I had sustained a, a hypoxic traumatic brain injury and I was essentially non-functional at that point my memory had reverted to that of childhood like I, I could barely remember who I was where I was who the people I was with were aside from my brother and like my mother I was like around five years old for my memory yeah it was extremely frightening just because I, I couldn't understand what was going on so those seizures continued um multiple times every day. I was put on a benzodiazepine and an anti-epileptic medication to try to uh, prevent those seizures. It brought them down, like it brought down the severity, it, somewhat of the frequency, but I was still having uh, multiple uh, partial seizures and absent seizures throughout the day. I began looking into ways to manage that. I I had already been consuming cannabis, so I... I uh, picked up a lot of cannabis oil that helped a little bit it didn't again it didn't completely stop it but it helped me become more functional so I ended up reaching out to a biohacking group that I had been a member of on Facebook for about several years at that point but I, I essentially just laid it out I, I explained my situation I explained that the neurologists that were working with me said that there wasn't really much hope for recovering my brain and I was open to like any experimental suggestions of nootropics, peptides, or like whatever the new most hopeful uh, therapy would be. So th there was one person that stood out to me in the comments, and uh, he had a Hanuman avatar. So Hanuman is a a Hindu god that that had been a recurring figure throughout my childhood from my grandma and my older brother, and it it, it stood out to me for that reason. So. He explained like a dietary, nutritional, like with supplements and diet, uh, herbal and lifestyle approach. I, I was extremely skeptical because I did. I I thought at that the point that I was at was not going to be recoverable whatsoever with just like basic. What what I originally thought was very basic, uh, an approach. I I figured why not? It, it couldn't hurt to try, and. Within, within a, a few weeks, I started noticing some improvements, like in my memory, my mood, my cognitive function. And then within about six to eight months, I started 
noticing major improvements. And then within about one to two years, I was completely recovered. I no longer have any symptoms of traumatic brain injury, epilepsy, or any of the issues that I've dealt with throughout my life. A lot of the people on health Twitter seem to be in remission of their uh, their health conditions. So like if they eat a trigger food or something of that nature, uh, their symptoms come back. I don't have any of that. The uh, remarkable recovery that I had. So on Twitter, I was using my Grimhood Twitter account originally as a journal mm -hmm. to log because my memory was so bad to log all of my thoughts, the, the things that I was researching, and then uh, what did and didn't work for me. That evolved into people just like, I guess, becoming interested in uh, what I had to share in my story. <laughs> it, it's still pretty much my journal, but people seem to be very interested in that. That's so fascinating. And did you ever find what the original cause or the trigger was that caused you to have such an intense reaction in 2017? So I was already having micro seizures that I wasn't aware of. I would stare blankly and I would like stop everything that I was doing, like mid conversation or w whatever I was doing. And then I would have no memory of like stopping everything. Uh, th that, that would be an absence seizure. Mm. But that that started relatively commonly but i didn't piece it together because i didn't understand or like realize that it was even happening my the ex-girlfriend would point it out to me after seizures anger is very common so i would get angry about her pointing it out i was like there's nothing wrong with me what are you talking about because i just i didn't realize it was even happening the main issues that i believe triggered the uh like i i dealt with seizures uh throughout my life um like when i was born i had the uh fever seizures uh, like throughout my childhood mm. and I, I suppose that makes you more susceptible to seizures later in life as well but uh so very very severe malnutrition i grew up very poor mm. and uh i didn't have the best eating habits throughout my entire life uh severe drug addiction and then chronic stress so I was eventually diagnosed with CPTSD, but uh, yeah, it, it was just stress throughout my entire life, like very severe stress. All of that was a cultivation of uh, what ultimately triggered the, the seizure, the major seizure. That's truly quite the story. And so just following this person's advice about lifestyle and supplementation really helped you essentially cure the problem as you were saying a lot of people are still in remission but you don't even have triggers that's truly incredible i have to ask was one of those supplements magnesium yes uh magnesium chloride was the most significant for me at that time because i, I i'm not recommending the amounts that i was taking but i was taking <laughs> about like a 15 to 25 grams per day it, mega mega saturation so that that was just oral consumption that was able to stop the seizures that I was experiencing more effectively than the benzo and the uh, anti-epileptic medication. Um, and then topical magnesium chloride would be able to stop the seizures in their tracks or abort the seizure aura. So I would experience auras mm -hmm. or like beginning signs of a seizure before it would happen. My, my boyfriend has migraines and sometimes he'll have the similar aura as well. And if he sees that and handles it right away, he can prevent the migraine from happening. If he does, yeah. if he, you know, so yeah, that's, I totally understand that part. 
Um, it's a funny story. When I first joined the jungle and made my Twitter account, I saw you, but you were Bowtied Magnesium. And I was like, oh, it's another Bowtied. And then I looked and you had 40,000 followers. And I was like, I don't think that's a Bowtie. <laughs> I've taken Magnesium based on your recommendation, but it hurts my stomach and makes me nauseous. Is there something that I'm doing wrong? Uh, it depends on which form you're taking. Which form are you? do you have on Magnesium glyc glycinate for sleep. Okay, so... um. Is it just like diarrhea or like a? <laughs> it just makes my stomach hurt. It is. I don't. I just like feel gross after. That 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 one's tough to say. It could be like if if it's the capsules, it could be the fillers and the binders in the capsules. Mm -hmm. Aside from the supplement itself, uh, you could try different form. Like usually with the the sensitivity to low amounts, um, there's a few common factors like insufficient. Uh, Sunlight exposure for red and infrared light to hydrate you on a cellular level. Too much blue light and EMF exposure, thiamine, sodium, calcium, potassium deficiencies. Those are going to be the main ones. Like there's some people that have reported to me, they take like 100 to 200 milligrams of like just a common form. And uh, they would get the bowel flush. They would get like slow heart rate like it, it was it's very strange how sensitive some people are but you, you just you stop taking it and you you uh revert back to normal pretty quickly yeah yeah um the thing you mentioned about blue light i'm in front of a computer all day long can you explain a bit about why that's bad and what it's doing to me the the main issue with blue light or artificial light in general is that the wavelength is solely focused on the blue uh, spectrum of the the light spectrum. The sun or natural light in general is like a balance between blue, green, red, infrared, UVA, UVB. It's dependent on the natural circadian rhythm of the earth and the sun. So when, uh, when you expose yourself to this, uh, this light that is typically most present, during solar noon, during the daytime, it's telling the, the mm -hmm. clocks within each organ of your body uh, through the eyes that it's solar noon constantly. Essentially, every process of the body is uh, set to a circadian clock. Mm -hmm. um, there's a gene called the clock gene <laughs> that, that yeah. regulates the processes within the body. This dysregulates the body's uh, circadian rhythm the, the main issues is that it drives up cortisol w whenever you're exposing yourself to it. So it, uh, there's a, a circadian flow for uh, a balance between uh, cortisol and melatonin. So cortisol should be uh, decreasing. It, it, it's going to be highest as soon as you wake up and then decrease throughout the day. And uh, it should be decreased uh, to a very minimal level around after sunset if not a, a few hours after mm -hmm. um and then melatonin starts to rise it's like a wave pattern between the two so mm -hmm. one goes up the other goes down and uh it just back and forth back and forth mm -hmm. so that dysregulation of the circadian rhythm uh has a very drastic impact on uh, melatonin which is your body's master antioxidant molecule and that causes uh Massive inflammation and oxidative stress throughout the entire body, as melatonin is found not just in the in the brain or the pineal gland is most commonly uh, understood, 
but in the gut, the mitochondria, so every cell within the body, it, it's it's produced essentially everywhere due to its role in the mitochondria. Just to put that simply, disrupts your sleep so you never get proper deep sleep mm-hmm. where you, the body really repairs itself. And then it dehydrates the body on a, a intercellular level because uh, it's the, it's the opposite of red and infrared, which is what the light spectrum that hydrates the body on an intracellular level. I think okay. that would be the simplest way to put it. I think I understand. So foremost, it gives you that noon light. And so it doesn't let your body relax because it's responding to that light and it keeps you up at night. Secondly, it affects your melatonin response. Did I understand that correctly? Which is the mitochondria effect? Yeah. So the the melatonin is uh, produced in the mitochondria. Uh-huh. And then um, the melatonin regulates your circadian rhythm. So uh, it puts you to sleep at night. And then it helps to uh, prevent damage from day-to-day processes. That's that's the best way to explain oxidative stress. Yeah, that makes it that makes a lot of sense. Um, is it something where if you just turn off your phone an hour before you go to bed, that mitigates a lot of the problems, or does it add up on you? So if you spend all day in front of this blue light, it's adding to your cortisol levels. It's affecting your sleep indefinitely. In the majority of cases, if you're exposing yourself to blue light all day long, it's going to have a very negative impact on multiple aspects of your health. Mm. So some ways to mitigate that, it can't be prevented altogether, but some ways to mitigate it would be to install two softwares that I'm aware of. Um, One is called Iris Software. The other one is called Flux. Flux is like the most recommended one, but I, I prefer Iris. So that helps to balance out the the light spectrum. So less blue light from your screens, um, more red. It, it's very customizable. And then a pair of blue light blockers would mm-hmm. be uh, a good way to begin to mitigate that. And then just trying to get as much sun as you can throughout the day. Just try to try to get even like two to five minutes. Just try to get that light information from the sun periodically throughout the day so the most important times are uh sunrise before 10 a.m um sunset and then midday sun exposure so midday is important for the uv the vitamin d so on and so forth but that's also very important for the circadian rhythm as well and for someone who lives in a high cloud cover area do you still get a lot of the benefit or is direct, is there a huge difference between, you know, a cloudy day and a sunny day in terms of its effect on you, that exposure to sunlight? You, you'll get more of a benefit with the, uh, just a sunny day, but you're, you're still having a, you're still getting light through the clouds. Mm-hmm. Like regardless of the weather, you should still be getting outside. Like even just a minute or two, getting some sun into your eyes is, is going to have a, possibly very drastic uh, improvement to your health in general because during the winter in northern and southern latitudes um, the majority of people just spend like months inside until spring or summer so like just even getting outside for a a few minutes should have uh, a noticeable benefit on 
your well-being and your sleep as well. I'm bad at waking up and going right on the computer. And um, I've noticed if you get up and you go outside first, I definitely relax more and it, it has a huge effect on my day. So it's something I'm trying to prioritize more, but we'll see how well I do. Something else I am a, uh, I often do is drink far too much coffee. I have seen on your Twitter that you promote something called Blue Lotus. It's a, I think a tea. Why is that better than coffee? And what exactly is it? So they, they both serve different purposes. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll talk about Blue Lotus, but some of the herbs that uh, I use for a coffee replacement are, uh, so I use Katuaba bark, Muero Puama, Coleus for Scoli, Rhodiola rosea, and then uh, Polygonum multiflorum. Oh, and Blue Lotus as well. So Blue Lotus is... Um, it's a very regulating herb. So if your body needs rest, it'll make you tired. So it, it'll it'll make you tired if your body mm-hmm. needs rest, regardless of whether or not your mind is aware of that. If you are well rested, then it will provide energy. So it's a it's a very regulating herb dependent on the state of the body and the mind. Mm. But it does have a regulating effect on dopamine, serotonin, GABA and glutamate, the endorphins and dynorphin. So th- those are two opposites there as well and so what is your concoction is this mix of herbs and water in the morning yeah typically i'll just throw the herbs themselves into the french press and then steep that in the mornings but uh yeah for for right now i am using coffee because it has a inhibiting effect on iron absorption and I'm, i'm trying to manage my iron levels currently and what are some of the the detractions or negatives of coffee like is this caffeine as bad for my heart as I've heard, are there other reasons why I shouldn't be drinking it? So uh, it's very contextual for my perspective on coffee or caffeine in general. Um, for the average healthy person, it's it's fine as long as you're not like consuming a thousand plus milligrams or something excessive. But in people who are chronically stressed or like severe circadian dysregulation where cortisol is uh, very high during the nighttime, it can exacerbate those issues. Mm. So it, it can cause further cortisol and melatonin dysregulation or just add additional stress on the body. It's going to catch up with you eventually. Yeah. So it's uh, it, it's very contextual with coffee. Um, it does have its roles and uses, but there's a lot of people that probably should not be drinking it. Like people that are stressed out, uh, commuting to and from work, uh like stuck in traffic all day yelling at people people that are like talked down to at work like just stressful jobs in general essentially any excessive chronic stress could have a negative impact with uh too much coffee consumption it can exacerbate my yeah it can just exacerbate the stress on the body that that's my most recent perspective on uh caffeine i used to believe that uh nobody should drink it at all because in traditional Chinese medicine, it, it's considered a, a stimulant poison, essentially. So it's uh, very damaging to the nervous system it, in, uh, from that perspective when consumed chronically, as with any stimulant. After experimenting more in a healthier state, I realized that I didn't really have very much of an issue with uh, consuming too much, or, well, Coffee in general, not, not too much because uh, 
I definitely notice that with my heart if I consume too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally, totally. I just love the taste. I just look forward yeah. to it. And it's, you know, zero calorie for someone who's fasting. It's kind of awesome. But something I've noticed is you keep bringing up like ancient Chinese medicine, Hindu philosophy. So it seems like you go the ancient route when examining a medical issue. Why do you take that stance to go more traditional, holistic? And then do you compare it to modern medicine or do you just really not believe in modern medicine? Uh, I, do, I do a combinational approach. So um, I utilize, uh, obviously, mainstream medicine or fiat medicine is very useful for emergency situations like broken bone, amputation, uh, surgeries, infections. Uh, yeah, so those would be the uh, the main things it's most helpful for. With chronic issues, it's uh, it's a lot less helpful. Yeah, <laughs> at least in my in my personal experience. Um, so what I've found most effective is a combination of both the uh, modern research of pharmacology and biochemistry, and then combining that with uh, traditional medicinal modalities from various different uh, countries. So the main ones that I typically talk about because they're they have very extensive frameworks for uh, how the body works and how it responds to various different foods, the seasons, light, uh, water, like just every little detail is mapped out in these frameworks. So a lot of what they have mapped out actually correlates with modern biochemistry and pharmacology. It's just a lot of uh, people that work within fiat medicine are taught that it's just all bullshit. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they immediately write it off without like considering that uh, it's been effective for a very long time. And it, it, it's, it, it's, it's just really ridiculous. Yeah. The, the combinational approach has been most effective, at least in, my own experience in the few thousand people that I've worked with. Um, <laughs> totally, totally. Um, I think it's really interesting how you keep using the word fiat medicine. I've never heard it called that, but I was an econ major, so I think I know what the word fiat means. Can you explain a bit what you what you mean when you say fiat medicine? So uh, just mainstream medicine would um, would be the the simplest way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the majority of the people that I work with, like probably eight or nine out of 10 people will tell me that uh, several doctors have essentially told them that there's nothing they can do to help them. And uh, it, it's it's a very common story. And that that's also what I heard as well. Right. So, yeah, I, I just feel like a lot of people are being failed by the current chronic health medical system. And uh, I, I'm trying to share as much as I can. Uh, but there's only so many people that are on twitter right compared to the rest of the world right but you have you have quite a few of them not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> um i totally agree with you and the the incentives with traditional or fiat medicine as you're referring just seem really off i've struggled with acne like my whole life and every time i go to the dermatologist it's another antibiotic it's another topical treatment that's just a slight deviation from what i've already tried and i always ask like what is wrong like why is this inflammation coming they're like ah it's just genetic or 
ah, it's just, it's just the air. And I'm like, really? It's genetic. Why is this happening to me? You know? And it's not that bad. Like, it's just like, I eat so clean and I do everything else right. Like, why is there inflammation on my face? And they never, never give me an answer. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of, a lot of doctors will default to genetic if they, they can't figure out a solution to it. Right. Um, probably about 95% of health conditions that people experience are uh, absolutely not genetic. So uh, it, they'd be considered epigenetic. So they that gene expression can be altered via diet, nutrition, lifestyle, uh, and your environment as well. Mm-hmm. So with, with acne, for example, um, especially with the, the chronic antibiotics, it's very likely to be related to your internal microbiome mm-hmm. rather than... Uh, anything external at this point uh, especially if you're eating clean the, the the blue light does have a negative impact on skin as well so that causes the oxidative stress or damage to the skin but yeah I, I would I would try to look into nourishing your your microbiome and then obviously stop any additional antibiotics because mm-hmm. uh, each time that you introduce the antibiotics you're just wiping out your your microbiome and then uh that can allow har- the harmful bacteria to proliferate more and more. Yeah, I'm. I was on the antibiotics all throughout high school, and I stopped in college, and things cleared up on their own. It was just moving to a new city and graduating, and some old things flared up a bit. Um, and they tried to put me on the antibiotics, and I was like, no. I, I've read too many holistic Twitter accounts. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but um. Yeah, I definitely have been reading a bit into it, like leaky gut potentially, or there's something that I'm eating that I have just a resistance to that I need to to find. Probably need to do like a whole 30, like super clean and figure out yeah. exactly what I'm reacting to or what's in my environment. It could be the blue light because I've never been in front of a computer this many hours in a day before. But yeah, I just thought that that's an interesting example as someone who has literally gone to the dermatologist since I was you know, the past decade. So I'm not exactly yeah. a huge fan of <laughs> traditional medicine. And I think it comes across in the the appointments. I don't mean to be rude, but I do ask rather pointed questions. <laughs> Let's see here. Something that I've also been taught my entire life is to not do drugs. And all my homies microdose mushrooms. So I just want to know, in layman's terms, what are the benefits of psilocybin and could you maybe explain a bit about what it does to my brain and why it's beneficial in depression anxiety ocd ptsd uh something that's very common is what i call sticky brain negative thinking or uh intrusive thoughts rumination are very common in these psychiatric conditions once once psilocybin is introduced to the brain and the rest of the body it helps to loosen up that stickiness (laughs) that the reason why i call it sticky brain is that that negative thinking like you can actively try to change your thinking but you'll just snap back to that negative thinking um like a lot of people will report that it's not in their control but um Mm -hmm. that that's what i call sticky brain is that getting snapped back into place with um negative thinking and negative symptoms so like the depression anxiety ocd and ptsd for example uh these are typically very 
effectively managed with psilocybin. Um, it helps to just reset the brain and then it helps to nourish the brain as well. So the majority of medicinal mushrooms, I, I do consider psilocybin one of them. They essentially, they're essentially brain food to put it into simple terms. It helps to regenerate the brain. Yeah, it, it, it just feels like a brain reset, essentially. And then it helps to uh, re repair the brain. So in more scientific terms, that sticky brain is a lack of neurogenesis or neurotrophic factors, as well as inflammation, and then some more extensive, complex uh, biochemistry that I, I won't get into for now. But the neurogenesis and the inflammation are the most important factors for those conditions specifically. And psilocybin is very effective at increasing neurotrophic factors. So for example, brain-derived neurotrophic factor or BDNF, nerve growth factor or NGF. And um, those are the two primary ones. And then it's psychedelics in general are very, very anti-inflammatory, specifically for the brain and the nervous system. So psilocybin is very, very effective for reducing that brain or neuroinflammation that is so common in uh, essentially everyone in the modern environment because of the light, the EMF, the pollution, the stress, so on and so forth, uh, drugs and medications. So, yeah, the, the simplest way to put it is like a brain reset. With microdosing specifically, you're not going to be, you, you shouldn't feel anything psychoactive. Some people will take two, more than a microdose and then still call it a microdose, and they'll be like mildly tripping throughout the day. But uh, in my experience, it helps, it helps you become more aware in the present moment. So... Different psychedelics will have different effects when microdosed. Uh, LSD is most commonly used for uh, focusing or like work in general because it has the dop uh, dopamine aspect to it. But psilocybin, it most commonly is best done on a day where you don't have very much work to do, where you can spend time with friends and family or outside in nature and just be aware of the present moment. And then... You can take a day off, reflect on what you observed, what you experienced, any differences that you noticed, if you were in a better mood, less anxiety, less depression, so on and so forth. And then uh, maybe another day off. And then uh, you could introduce the microdose again. That That's considered the Fadiman protocol, which is a very common microdosing protocol. I, I, I've... I've seen the most uh, benefit with the Fadiman protocol personally is spacing it out a little bit. So that way I can reflect on if there was anything that I learned during that experience. Mm -hmm. Would you say that it's addictive? No, not at all. It's anti-addictive. So it can actually help with addictions in uh, reducing cravings as well as withdrawal, depending on the drug. So would you say that this is not medical advice? Like, would you recommend people try it <laughs> it depends on this your state of mind and your psychiatric health so it, like this is not medical advice but um if you're prone to psychosis or mania i would try i would tend to avoid um psychedelics in general just because it can trigger episodes and you you want to try to avoid that as much as possible but uh for the average person 
it, it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt to experiment with like there's not very much that can go wrong unless you're prone to the psychosis or mania. There's no toxicity or uh, anything of that nature. Like with alcohol, for example, um, it's, a, it's a very benign substance. You're going to see how much of a noob I am with this question, but is it <laughs> is ayahuasca DMT Joe Rogan? Is this like a stronger version? Ayahuasca is like a stronger version of mushrooms? I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> So a little bit, a little, that, <laughs> that, that, that would be the, if like, you don't have any experience with any of them, it, it would probably be best described as a stronger mushroom. Um, the experiences are different. The deeper that you go, you'll notice like the, the fungi spirit with mushrooms or the plant spirits with ayahuasca. In my experience, mushrooms are like a, um, a grandmother and, uh, Ayahuasca is more like a mother, it, at least for me. It, it can be different for everyone. So, like, th there's there there's differences between the two, but just for someone that has no experience, they they are uh, ayahuasca is typically the more potent form. So, when you say it's like a grandmother or like a mother, what do you think that is? Do you think those are interdimensional elves, or do you think that's your brain? The, the uh, plant spirits and fungi spirits are external from the individual. Like, I, I don't believe in like the 60s perspective of all hallucinations or uh, psychedelic experiences or mm -hmm. shamanic experiences being in your head at all. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, they can be influenced by your thoughts and your emotions, but uh, I, I, I really don't believe that it's in your head. Yeah, I, I've had experiences with psychedelics where I would be with a group of friends, we would all consume them, and then we would all see and hear the same things. And then we would, we wouldn't really talk very much, but uh, after the experience was said and done, we would report back what we heard and saw. And then it was, everyone saw the, heard and saw the same thing. That that was proof enough for me that it's not just all in your head. Mm -hmm. And that's happened a handful of times for me, actually. I I'm just so curious, like what is going on? Like a there's like a realm that we can't interact with unless we intake these substances, essentially. It it it's not always about the the psychedelic substances, but it is like a a sh shortcut to those uh, interdimensional realms. So they're always present, but all right, th this is going to get a little conspirational for the majority of people, but <laughs> <laughs> these realms are always present, but everything in place in mod modern society that, that inflames and uh, essentially poisons the brain, malnourishes the individual, is uh, it puts up these filters for your perception of reality. The, the psychedelic medicines help to take those filters down so that we are able to perceive reality as it is uh without all those filters ancient and modern shamans they are typically able to perceive these realms with or without these uh psychedelic medicines mm -hmm. monks like people that have uh experimented with deep meditation for many many years are able to perceive these realms and then i do believe there's some context here. So there, there's some genuinely sick people, but uh, people with like schizophrenia or what is typically deemed as psychosis 
are also able to perceive these realms mm -hmm. but in western culture they have no guidance for learning how to use those abilities so they're just uh, gaslit into believing that they're disabled and then put on chemically lobotomizing drugs their entire lives and uh that that's my that's my perspective for schizophrenia mm -hmm. <laughs> the majority of cases in in the modern world today i i just think it's a really interesting perspective and i really like value your opinion so i want to know and as someone who's never experienced or you just tried it at all i just the idea that there's this realm or these beings that we don't have access to that are there it's just so interesting and um the when you mentioned like monks that are very experienced in meditation or long ago practices and medicines and shamans had a better understanding of this stuff we were just talking about how ancient medicine tends to be right because they've got years and years and years of trial and error essentially to test it out so i'm not saying any of it's not true like i i'm totally open to the idea of it being true i just think it's crazy fascinating yeah <laughs> uh the, the majority of people just because they're the conditioning from uh from grade school into adulthood is uh they'll call what i i believe uh bullshit but it, it's it's very real in my perspective especially it, having grown up uh around two healers my grandmother and my my older brother and then having schizophrenia throughout uh from from a young age like i started showing symptoms from a, a very young age and then around 15 or 16 is when I first had my first uh psychotic break mm -hmm. and then it 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 spiraled from there I, mm -hmm. I I just yeah I was in a really bad position at the time mm -hmm. it, there wasn't very much guidance in terms of how to manage or deal with what I was experiencing I, I was put in mental hospitals and then mm -hmm. cycled through medications and uh that was very traumatizing <laughs> That's so difficult. To, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it, yeah, it's it's in the past now. Well, thank you for sharing. With I can imagine how difficult that was. Perhaps moving on to lighter subjects. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we've mentioned, you know, how modern medicine is often unhelpful or it has the wrong incentives, but perhaps holistic medicine isn't always perfect either. What do you think is the biggest holistic health psyop out there? that people think is helping, but it's really useless or it's damaging. There's a lot of people that will completely deny uh, the application of uh, uh, fiat medicine. So like they'll ignore blood work. Mm -hmm. They'll try to uh, avoid the hospital or doctors at any cost whatsoever. Like even if uh, they have a severe infection, they'll try to manage it with like a holistic approach and, uh, Sometimes it's just better to take the antibiotics or whatever if it's possibly life threatening. Like some, I, I'm not gonna name names, but I've had some people come to me with like a like a staph infection in their sinuses, and I'm like, you need to go to to the ER like immediately because mm -hmm. that that can enter your brain at any point, and uh, it's not gonna turn out well. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to get that taken care of like as soon as possible. So there's, there's some extreme cases for holistic medicine. And then in general, there's 
it, it, it's the same as fiat medicine. Like there, there's so many different perspectives and a lot of them are just, they're not really based on reality or biochemistry or pharmacology or anything that we know about the human body. They're just like, what well, seems to me just thrown together ideas, but uh, that that seems to be very common in mm -hmm. the holistic uh, community online. Mm -hmm. I, I it's it's very few and far between for holistic people that I meet in person. It's usually people that I meet in person from knowing them online. Right. Sometimes you see these accounts on Twitter or on the internet just telling you to do like the response to serious health issues that are acute, as you've said, is to like rub certain oils on the affected area. Like, no, I think you need to go to the doctor for that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of hyper fixation on single things mm -hmm. that people believe are the truth rather than looking at it from a, by definition, a holistic perspective, right. like every single factor to it rather than just like one or two you're not ever going to address the root cause of an issue just by addressing one to two factors. You have to look at everything from a holistic perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like for instance, um, I was just watching videos and someone was curing a chronic health disease and they went to a hormonal specialist. And the first thing she had them do was go through like four very detailed specific blood tests and they they got all the data, but then the treatment was more holistic it was more about healing the underlying problem rather than supplying yeah. like a drug but they yes. were still yeah. doing the testing that is available today with modern technology that's that's an awesome approach yeah. that is excellent so i think that that makes a ton of sense to me yeah yeah ex exactly like we have all these luxuries today it's it makes no sense to uh dismiss or think they're all bullshit <laughs> yeah just because they're associated with something that you don't necessarily believe in, there's you just have to keep an open mind. Right. Um, I, I was definitely guilty of uh, being more closed-minded than I am now, but I, I've been trying to find more of a balance between my perspectives more recently. I struggle with that one too. Let me tell you, it's <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough one. Speaking of being close-minded. What is your take on mRNA vaccines? <laughs> so I, I'll just be, I'll be straight up about it. I think that uh, everyone that has taken one is a lab rat. It's an entirely new technology, medical technology that mm -hmm. has not really been tested in humans before these recent uh, injections. The research that is coming out, well, just like just even observing all the stories, like the anecdotal reports from mm -hmm. uh, people that have taken them is it's not looking pretty at all. It, it's it's a it's a very terrible situation. Like there's some people that had no negative response except maybe like a week or two of uh, feeling sick or sore mm -hmm. after the initial injections. Um, and then th they seem to be fine, at least for now. Uh, hopefully that continues for them. Uh, and then there's other people that they either have severe health complications ranging from cardiovascular, immune, gut, neurological, like it, it's, there's no telling where that spike protein that is, uh, 
the mRNA essentially programs the body to produce right. is going to end up and uh, that can cause a lot of different, a, a full range, a full spectrum of uh, different symptoms as we're seeing currently now. It's, uh, I don't think it's a good idea to, <laughs> to uh, program your body to produce something that is uh, essentially harmful just to, uh, you, you may as well just expose yourself to it outside where uh, there's fresh air flowing, circulating the air uh sunlight to help essentially destroy any uh viral proteins or fractions like uv light is very it it, it kills most bacteria and viruses so the, the, there's the people that are afraid to be outside winter is one thing but uh like during the summer it, it it's just nonsensical to me so i'm i did not personally get any mrna or any of these injections I do urge people not to if they haven't already. The the people that have taken them are essentially lab rats. We just have no idea for long-term safety data on any of the uh, mRNA injections. I would agree with you. I think that's a very fair assessment. For the original strain of COVID, what is your opinion on the danger of it? Was it a serious danger to anyone below the age of 55? I mean, you can look at the data and see that it was really people who were overweight, people over the age of 60. Do you think that the actual strain of COVID that the the vaccine was meant to protect us from has long-term effects or was something to be scared of? So are you talking about like death or just symptoms in general? Like well, just long-term health. Like you hear about long-term COVID. You hear about you really don't want to get this thing. I don't know. So yeah, I, I've... I've worked with a lot of people with long COVID as well as damage from the mRNA injections, but uh, it, it is something to be concerned about, but it ultimately comes down to your mitochondrial redox status or your body's ability to fight off that oxidative stress. I think that that would be the simplest way to put that mm-hmm. for mitochondrial redox status um, and just inflammation bacteria, viruses, things in general. So redox status is, uh, yeah, I, 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 we'll, we'll leave it at that because okay. <laughs> I, I can keep going into that. Um, so it, se- it really seems to come down to the mitochondrial redox status, your nutrient stores, um, your general health. So your metabolic health, as well as your, your weight, like you mentioned, uh, overweight people, and uh, insulin-resistant people, more specifically, mm-hmm. seem to have been a lot more susceptible to it. Um, something that <laughs> it, it did frighten me, seeing all those uh, videos from China where right. people were like dropping dead in 2019. Uh, and th- that's what got me started on researching like SARS and then related viruses initially around that time, just so I could prepare myself and help like protect my friends and family. Right. The initial strain of COVID, um, my brother ended up getting told by told to him by his doctors an unknown viral viral infection with secondary pneumonia. Wow! Uh, towards the end of 2019, I believe it was November, going into December, uh, he got extremely sick for about a month. Like he was not able to keep down food or water for about two weeks. He lost stupid amount of weight. Like wow. it, he looked terrible. I, I was. 
I was very, very close to bringing him to the hospital because I was, I was generally uh, concerned for his health and his well-being. But my mother had uh, promethazine tablets on hand. So I broke those up into like four quarters or eighths. And I would give him small amounts of that just so that way he could prevent the nausea for a period, like six to eight hours so he could get some food, some supplements, some herbs down. And then uh, he started making a noticeable improvement once I was, he was actually able to keep those things down. I, I included a lot of the things that I noticed to be helpful for him in my immune system support protocol that I wrote up in 2021. Mm -hmm. But I, I was already doing a lot of the things that I was giving him as well. And I ended up drinking uh, some of the water that he was drinking so I could test my own immune system. And uh, I didn't experience anything at all. Hmm. So hmm. It, it, I, I I do a lot of uh, probably dangerous experiments for the average person <laughs> uh, just to like learn more. But um, yeah, so in terms of the long COVID, it's typically rooted in mitochondrial damage mm -hmm. and uh, mitochondria being the energy producing center for every cell in the body that can have a very wide ranging effect on the body. Um. It is possible to reverse long COVID, but uh, it really comes down to how disciplined or how much energy you have to put into uh, repairing your own food, mm -hmm. at least light exercise. Like you, you don't want to lift heavy ass weights, but uh, you want you want to be walking and you want to be active. Like you don't want to be sedentary all the time. Mm -hmm. um, various herbal medicines to help mitigate some of that inflammation the chronic inflammation is very common in in those cases it doesn't happen to everyone but the people that i have worked with which it, it's it's biased towards very uh very unhealthy people right. obviously with um people that, that seek out my help um but i i don't i don't think it's any reason to like get experimental injections but yeah. It is reason to uh, educate yourself on how to support your immune system, as well as the research on how to prevent uh, the spike protein binding to your cells and just maintaining good health and immune system function. So that way you don't get sick in the first place. Like you can be exposed to it, but you may not necessarily get sick at all. Mm -hmm. um, I've been exposed to it. I, I was flying every uh, every month of 2021 and the end of 2020, and I never got sick whatsoever. It's very, I, again, uh, it, it, the majority of things are very contextual. Right. It just depends on the individual state of health, whether or not it's a, a major concern. Right. I just, I always wonder that because so many people I love were told that it would be smarter for them to take it than to risk getting it because they were of older age and they weren't in bad shape, but just like based solely on age, essentially, they were told they should get the experimental injection rather than the original strain. I got the original strain. I was sick for four days and then I was totally fine. So yeah. I, ha I have my doubts. For the people who <laughs> are listening, who may have gotten an experimental injection, is there anything that they could do to perhaps mitigate the lab rat effects? In my pin tweet on my Twitter profile, so the the pin tweet where it says, 
who the fuck does this grim guy think he is takes manny's and wants oh shit uh underneath there i think it's the second to last tweet will should be a gum road link it's uh pay what you want so you if you uh if you're not in, in a position to help support me um you can just enter zero to download it for free that's seven pages of information to different contexts i i, I did the acute infection the uh, post-acute seculi, so long COVID, uh, and then injection side effects as well. Mm. Um, and then in the comments of the uh, the tweet itself with the Gumroad link, there's additional notes that I have not had a chance to include to the PDF file yet. But things like the taurine and the uh, COQ10 or ubiquinol would be smart ideas for the cardiovascular support mm. i think that's a, the main concern for the majority of people because mm -hmm. uh that's that seems to be the most common issue right and then black seed oil uh natokinase and serapeptase to reduce clotting risk uh maintaining your thiamine and niacin status as well as magnesium and then balancing things like potassium sodium zinc and copper uh, making sure that you're not either deficient in iron or having too much within the body. Um, yeah, I, I, I've done several threads on how to mitigate risk of uh, like severe symptoms of uh, possible damage. Mm -hmm. Definitely the place to go. I'm I'm searching through that tweet right now. <laughs> you have like <laughs> ten different threads attached to it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> So you mentioned black seed oil. I keep seeing that everywhere. Why should I be taking black seed oil? In Middle Eastern culture, it's considered the cure for everything except death. And now <laughs> that's that's being uh that's being confirmed in modern research. It's really fascinating. Like all the research is coming out. An extremely effective anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. or inflammation regulator. So it does help to uh well, with the uh, non-steroidal um, anti-inflammatory drugs, the NSAIDs, ibuprofen, and Tylenol, mm -hmm. so on and so forth, naproxen, uh, they like they silence pretty much all inflammation, both positive and negative. When there should be a finer balance between um, inflammatory cytokines. So, for example, chronic excessive inflammation is obviously going to be damaging but uh you need inflammation for muscle protein synthesis during exercise to uh, build your muscles so mm. with NSAIDs for example it can uh, prevent muscle growth or significantly inhibit muscle growth after exercise if you're taking them on a regular basis so with black seed oil it's more regulatory rather than just completely silencing inflammation altogether um it helps to restart cellular waste clearing it helps to boost nad plus which is another factor to your immune system function mm. uh energy production redox status mitochondrial function so on and so forth it has it contains a quinone molecule called thymoquinone which again helps to support the redox status and mitochondria. And uh, it enables detox body-wide. So it helps to support the liver, kidneys, pancreas, 
immune system, spleen, lymphatic system. It it, it would be easier to describe what it doesn't do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it just doesn't cure death. <laughs> and is that on your website? Can I buy black seed oil? I bl- it may be out of st- I I've gotten a lot of sales today, so it may be out of stock <laughs> currently. Um, but I'm currently waiting on a new shipment, which should be in. What day is it today? Wednesday. Wednesday. Um, should be in next week, I believe. And then my uh my business partner just needs to ship me a handful of cases, and then it'll be back up on my shop. Alrighty, I gotta get some. I've been seeing it too much. And you just take a tablespoon by liquid, or is it a like a powder? So for uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a liquid oil. Okay. Um, for general health maintenance, about one teaspoon twice a day is perfectly fine. And then for illness or otherwise high in- inflammatory states, um, uh, one tablespoon up to three times a day wow, is okay. the recommended amount. righty. That one's easy. I like I like the the solutions that are very easy to implement um, with little thought and apparently no side effects. So there's only good yeah, with that with, one. With, with the, the black seed oil, you just have to be mindful of um, medication interactions. Okay. So like if, if you're on opiates or uh, benzodiazepines, for example, it can uh, potentiate those drugs. So you you want to reduce the dosages of those drugs. Um, and that, like, if you if you type in nigella sativa or black seed oil, your medication, and then CYP, that should pull up, like, uh, what is it called, WebMD or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, general interaction checking websites, and then that that should provide information on whether or not it's a concern. Awesome! I've never known that trick. That's so helpful. Yeah, uh, it the more obscure herbs will uh not be included on there but black seed oil has gotten uh quite popular over like the last five years so um the 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 medical websites are starting to catch on yeah (laughs) well this has been so so helpful and is there anywhere that you would like people to be able to go find your stuff so obviously your twitter account but is there anything else that they should be looking for um i have a patreon account where Mm -hmm. i post more in-depth articles and protocols that of the content that I talk about on Twitter. Um, that's patreon.com slash Grimm's Apothecary. That's Grimm's with two M's. Um, and then my website shop as well. So mm-hmm. that's Grimm's Apothecary with two M's dot net slash shop. I find your Twitter feed so fascinating because you'll post something chemistry that I won't be able to understand. And like seven people will comment very detailed responses, either agreeing or, you know, contradicting you in some way, but like very thoughtful understanding of chemistry. Like the the, the audience that you have is very, very interesting on Twitter. Yeah, it, that that's taken a lot of uh, refinement. Like it, there's, there's a lot of nonsense. Uh, responses i've gotten over the years um i i, I have a very extensive block list <laughs> <laughs> just so i could clear those the nonsensical people away from the comments and mm-hmm. just leave like useful information for people to read over 
all the best people I know have like 15,000 people on their blocked list. So I don't know yeah. what that says about the state of humanity, but <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. I had a great time and I think this was super helpful. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Alrighty. See you later. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. This has been yet another episode of Common Sense. If you liked the conversation, please consider hitting that follow button on Spotify. Oh, and tell everyone you've ever met to do the same. And while you're feeling generous, why not subscribe to my YouTube channel? I promise I've ridiculed at least one of the identity groups you dislike. You have a great day now. <laughs>